When two people get married, it doesn't take long for us to realize this person is very different from me. Jennifer and I had been married just a few weeks. I can remember this. I did something to upset her. I don't remember what it was, so it couldn't have been that bad. But she decided to give me the silent treatment. The only problem was I, I didn't know what the silent treatment was. I wasn't familiar with that conflict strategy at all. And so there we are in the living room and we've been quiet for like 30 minutes. I'm sitting there on my computer and I'm thinking, man, this is great. Yeah, don't you just love how we can be in the same room and we don't have to say anything at all? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. And eventually Jennifer turns to me and says, are you gonna ask me what's wrong? Now that was a tip off that something was wrong. But I was completely dumbstruck. I, I, I said, uh, is, is something wrong? She said, yeah, I've been sitting over here waiting for you to ask me. Now we both learned something that day. Uh, Jennifer learned that as an introverted man, the silent treatment is a reward for me, not a punishment. <laughs> Uh, but I also learned this, that if Jennifer's ever quiet for more than about two minutes at a time, I need to immediately apologize and then just work out the details later. Clearly, I've done something wrong. And I said this last week, marriage is the union between two sinners. And when two sinners share a life together under the same roof, we make a lot of messes. There's no way around that. And hopefully we can look back on the messes we've made and laugh but we need to agree on this, that, that marriage is one of the places in life where we need the most help. I mean, we can make it by in other areas, perhaps, that are less significant, that are less close to our heart. But marriage is one of those places where we need God's grace in a major way. Because we, you know, we stand at the altar with stars in our eyes. We're taking our vows, and we don't really know what we're getting into. Can I really live up to these promises I'm making to always love, honor, serve, and protect? Can I be sure that my spouse can live up to this standard? We don't really know what we're getting ourselves into. And if we're left to ourselves in our own sin, we can make such an absolute mess of things that it gets beyond repair for us. And so we need God to step in here. And it's, it's a wonderful truth for us that God delights to be at the center of our marriages. God created marriage. It was his idea to begin with. Way back in Genesis 2, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they become one flesh. God declared that at the very beginning before Adam and Eve even had a mother and father to leave. God established marriage as the thing that would bind us together like no other relationship on earth. And so if God created it, then surely God is the one who's going to tell us how it's done. God is the one who's going to, to show us what it means to live a happy, healthy, and God-honoring marriage. And so last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 5. We looked at wives be subject to your husbands. Well, today we go back to Ephesians 5 for the second part of Paul's command, where he speaks now to husbands directly. And I'm going to spoil the surprise here by saying that the deepest and most important truth from last week is going to be the same for today, that if you want to have a great marriage, 
And in this case, if you want to be a great husband, you first have to be deeply rooted in a love for Jesus and a dependence upon Jesus. See, just like with wives, the Apostle Paul is going to tell husbands today to do some very unnatural and difficult things. To be a great godly husband is not something we're born with. It's not natural to us. It's something that has to be given to us by God. And so a deep, vibrant relationship with Jesus is the only thing that's going to produce in us the kind of husband that we know we ought to be, that we desire to be, that our wives are hoping that we'll be. And so God has to do this within us and then develop this by his Holy Spirit. That's what we see in Ephesians 5 today. We're going to finish out the the chapter. This is verses 25 through 33. Paul's going to tell us how it's done, what it looks like for a man to become a godly husband. And he starts in verse 25. Very simply, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved his church and gave himself up for her. Now, we stop right there. That's such an important verse all by itself. It might make sense to us. You know, what we looked at before with wives, wives, be submissive to your husbands. It would make sense for Paul to turn to men now and say, husbands, lead your wives, because those two things go hand in hand. There's submission and there's leadership. But that's not the command Paul gives us. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar right here to see that this is a unique kind of love, isn't it? Any man can say, I love my wife. But Paul is connecting the love of a husband to the greatest love in existence, the highest possible form of love. He says, you love her in the same way that Jesus has loved his church and he died for her. Now, that word love, if you've grown up around church, you've, you've studied your Bible, you're, you maybe are familiar with uh, the different Greek words for love. See, in the English language, we have one word. It's love. But in the Greek that Paul wrote here, there are multiple words, three words primarily for love. He uses the word agape. And that word agape is the deepest, most profound type of love that there is. It was not typically used for marriage in the ancient times. See, in Paul's day, marriage was was viewed culturally as more a sense of attachment and duty and commitment. It was uh, for for the sake of the social fabric we get married. But along comes the Christian view of marriage as agape. As, as something divine. The kind of love that God has for us is now the defining mark of a Christian marriage. And see, if, if Christian marriage, like we said, if it's rooted in God himself, then it makes sense that we would be, as husbands, we would be commanded to love our wives like Christ loves. So what we see here, this is not just an emotional feeling that ebbs and flows day by day. No. This is a whole life commitment to the absolute good of another person. This is a death to self, a sacrificial love that elevates the object 
of our love. That's what agape means. Now, we need to take a step back for just a minute. Because Paul is about to kind of lose himself in when he begins to talk about Jesus here in verse 25. He takes a step to the side. We're not you you notice this in the scripture. Paul isn't really talking about marriage so much in verses 25 through 27. He's talking about something bigger than marriage. And you see it here. I'm going to read it. Verse 25 again in the, in the two verses that follow. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. That's the church. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's the most precious truth in all of creation, in all of existence, where we gain insight right here in just a few short verses, we get an insight into just how deeply Jesus loves us. This is not husbands and wives only here. This is everybody that Jesus would give himself up for us, his very life for ours, so that he might set us apart for himself. That's what it means to be sanctified here. That you and I, we are specially chosen and loved, though we did absolutely nothing to deserve it. Jesus has loved us and set us apart. He cleanses us by washing away every stain of sin. He brings us into all truth. He washes us with water and with the word. He glorifies us. He presents us to himself as holy and blameless for all eternity. Now, what role did we play in that process? I mean, just think about what Paul has told us here. Jesus loves Jesus lays down his life. He sanctifies us. He cleanses us. He presents us in glory. He purifies us. He makes us holy. He makes us blameless. He does everything. We, there's nothing that you and I contribute to this process as if God needs us to kick in the extra you know, 10 or 20% of the equation to make it so. No, Jesus has done it in full. Everything. And then some. Now, here's my question. Do you know Jesus like this? I'm not just speaking to husbands. This is everybody. Do you know Jesus like this? Do you know the one who has done everything for your sake? Because many, many people live perpetually stuck in cycles of religious activity where we are trying to live good lives for God, trying to do good things for God. And in the midst of that, potentially, we've never actually come face to face with this man, capital M, this man, the divine Son of God. See, a religious life is concerned with what I can do for God to earn God's love. What can I do so that God will accept me? And Paul is saying, no, look at what God has done for you. Before you had ever made a decision, before you had ever done anything good or bad, God set his love upon you. 
Look at how outrageously he's loved you. Do you know Jesus like that? Because it's possible, listen, if if you are seeking to be a good person, if you're seeking to be a good religious person, and you've never come face to face with this kind of love, then it's possible that you have not come to know Jesus at all. Look at who he is. Look at what he's done. To be a Christian is not to be an improved version of your former self. To be a Christian is to be captivated by a love and a grace that defies imagination. This is what Christ has done for you. And we receive it in full, a gift of his grace. Do you know Christ like this? Now, we stepped aside to discuss that because that's the most important truth there is. But I also want to, I want to bring us back around also because there is a correlation here. Paul, Paul's not talking only about Christ. Uh, he, he, he is trying to give us a connective tissue here to marriage when he talks about husbands and wives. Because he does say husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. There is a connection there. What is it? Let me give you two real quick things on this before we move on to practical matters. Uh, men... We are not the saviors of our wives. And sometimes I I think Christian men, we carry a burden that is is unfair. That, oh, I've got to sanctify my wife. I've got to wash her with the water of the word. I've got to, you know. No, that's Jesus' job. That's why Paul takes a step to the side here and, and reminds us that for all of us, men and women alike, this is what Christ does for us. And only Jesus can do these things. So as husbands... We're not the saviors of our wives. We're, our job is to point her to the Savior. Our job is to, is to point her to and encourage her in Christ because he's the one that does for her things that we can never do. And we've got to recognize the difference in that. That's first. But then second, men, there is, you know, there is a correlation here. When we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we think about the unique quality of this kind of love. I would say it this way. Jesus' love, we see in these verses, it's a purifying love. It's a beautifying love. It makes us something that otherwise we could never be. We are sinners separated from, from God, and yet Jesus cleanses us. He purifies us. He washes us white as snow through his forgiveness, and he beautifies us. It says that he presents the church to himself in all her glory. There's something about us now that glows in brilliant white because of Christ. Now, can you love your wife in such a way that it makes her more beautiful? Ladies, I think we could affirm that, that you can be loved in such a way that it beautifies, that it purifies. You can be loved like that. Uh, and, and men, this is not the kind of love that, that is asking, what can she do for me? What can I get from her, right? That's a love that corrupts and corrodes. That's really not love at all. No, this is a love, agape, that says, I will elevate you. I will do what is best for you, even if it's costly to me. And there's a sense in which that kind of love gives beauty to a wife because she's being loved in a way that reflects the love of Christ for her. Husbands, that's what we are called to do. 
Now, that is that a lofty standard? <laughs> that is about as high a bar as can possibly be set for us. And men, that can be a debilitating thought. How can I ever live up to this? Well, Paul knows that, men. And so Paul doesn't leave us there with only this deeply spiritual idea of love. He's going to get real practical with us. And I think, you know, it's interesting, uh, the, the ladies, y'all got three verses in terms of the command to be a good wife. Men, we get like nine, okay? We don't need to go into why that is, <laughs> except that men, typically, we need a little more detail. We need a little bit more of a kick in the pants on this kind of stuff. And so Paul gives us nine verses. And in verse 28, you notice he gets a lot more practical. Look at this. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So the first command, love your wife as Christ has loved his church. Very lofty. But then the second command, love her like you love you. Love her like you love yourself. Now, men... The love of self is so natural to us. It's so deeply rooted in us that we don't even notice it's there. Everybody, from the moment we're born, we are preoccupied with ourselves. We love ourselves. It's the most natural thing about us. And so when we're told right here, love and nourish and cherish your wife the same way you care about yourself, that's a really earthy, practical command right there. Because I, let, let me tell you about me for a second. When I get hungry, I feed myself. Okay, I don't miss meals if I don't have to. And I don't go rooting around through the garbage to find something to eat. I'm going to eat something that I enjoy. And if I can't find something in the house that I like, I'll get in the car and I'll go pick something up. Because I'm important. I'm going to take care of myself. If I get a cut or a burn or something on my body, on my skin, I don't just walk away like nothing happened. I get real sensitive to what's happened to me, and I take care of it. I'm mindful of it because I'm important. If I lay down to go to sleep and it's too hot or too cold in my house, I get out of bed and I go to the thermostat and I fix it because my comfort is important. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nurture and care for myself, and I do it instinctively, I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's just part of what it is to be human. Now, I'm not trying to make a point about how high maintenance I am when I say these things. I'm just trying to prove what Paul is saying. I love myself. I don't hate my own flesh, but I nourish it and I cherish it. And so, Paul says, husbands, um, love your wives in the same kind of way that you love you, and let me phrase it like this. Let me ask, let's ask it this way. Guys, am I loving my wife with the same energy and care and concern and urgency with which I love myself? 
Are you loving your wife with the same care and concern and energy and urgency and joy with which you treat yourself? And we don't need to gloss over that question. That's, that question does not have an easy answer for us because we love ourselves very deeply. And, and remember that we just saw three words that Paul used when he talked about how we treat ourselves. He says we love We nourish, we cherish. That's how we treat us. And he's saying that's how we ought to treat our wives because that's how Christ treats his church. We love, we nourish, and we cherish. Those are not random concepts here. And so we need to unpack those things. And here's where we're going to get real practical in our application. How do we men, how do we practically love and nourish and cherish our wives? Now, ladies, same rules apply as last week. Women, you are not allowed to elbow Right here, you're not allowed to yell out amen. You just sit and nod, okay? Uh, Because these things, at least generally, are very true. Um, I speak generally, but for the most part, this is true in terms of how men and women uh, function in marriage. Paul says, love, nourish, cherish. Now, that word love, the first thing, love, remember, this is agape love. This is a love that sacrifices so that it elevates our wives ahead of us. And one of the most important things we can do in marriage, and this is so vital, men, you've got to learn how to love your wife. Every woman is built just a little bit differently. And you can't, we cannot as men, generically apply our definition of love onto that woman because she's made differently than us. And it's interesting how God created us that we're supposed to understand her. That's why in 1 Peter, he says, Men, husbands, love your wives as unto knowledge. Live with them in an understanding way. You've got to know her, and you've got to know how she needs to be loved. And usually for us men, the only way to figure that out is to ask her. We've got to ask her, how do you need to be loved? What does love mean for you? Now, one of the ways, of course that we see here in the text, what it means to love. Jesus loved the church and died for her. Now, that's a, that's a good one for us men to anchor ourselves in. Because I don't know of a man, I don't know of a husband, who if push came to shove, he wouldn't die for his wife. All right, We would do well in that scenario. Men, if a train was coming, if a man pulled a gun, we would push our wives out of the way and we would take that train on. We would take that bullet for her. We would lay it down. For that woman. I don't have any doubt about that. But, guys, that's not what your wife is asking you for. I would die for you. That sounds very noble. And of course, I'm sure it's true, but that's not what your wife is asking you for. When your wife thinks about love, she's not thinking about you jumping in front of a train for her. At least I hope not. No, listen, when your wife thinks about love, when she was standing at that altar thinking about love and living in a loving marriage with you. You know what? She was thinking about you listening while she's talking, right? And making eye contact and considering her feelings and caring about her right there in that moment. Now that may seem like little things, especially compared to self-sacrifice, dying. But guys, we struggle. We tend to struggle with the little things, not the big ones. We'll do the big thing, sure, if it ever happens, but it probably never will 
What your wife is thinking when she thinks of love, she's thinking that you're going to get face-to-face with her and care about her. And men, typically men, have a problem doing that. Ladies, don't you just love when you're trying to speak to your husband and share your heart with him, and he's looking over at something else, a screen or something, going, "Uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Don't you just love that? Doesn't that communicate care and concern? And we men are so often guilty of that. Guys, to love your wife is to attend to her face-to-face. That's what she's thinking. And, and it's, it's being considerate beyond that. It means that you don't, just, you don't just tell her where you're going and what you're doing and walk out the door. No, that, that's, that's, that's what a single man does who's unattached. But no, to be married means that, no, we, we consider our wives. We include her in our decisions. We ask her permission. And that can be hard for a man. I don't have to ask permission to go and do, you know. But listen, to be, if you have left your father and mother and you've been joined to your wife, you are in covenant love and marriage and agreement with her, you don't do things now apart from her. She's part of you. And so a woman, when a woman thinks of being loved, she wants to be considered. She wants to be honored in that way. And so when we're joined to our wives, we're called to love her as she needs to be loved, right? And here's the challenge for us as men, and I just encourage us to do this tonight. Guys, sit down with her and ask her, what is love to you? What, is, what are you thinking when you're thinking about me loving you? And guys, you just have to listen to her. She'll tell you. And we can't push back, guys. We can't make excuses. We just need to, to listen to the heart of our wives and then pray that God would give us the grace to change because we're going to have to change if we're going to love that woman well. So Paul says, love your wives, agape love, her before you. And then he says, guys, nourish her. Nourish your wife, which means you contribute to her highest good. That's what it is to nourish something. You contribute to the, to the greatest good of that person. Now, I think most of us men, when we get into marriage, we just naturally think of marriage as give and take. Give and take. I do this for you. You do this for me, right? Because that's our heart, naturally. That's how we assume life works, and therefore marriage must work that way too. It's 50-50. I give, I receive, right? You give, you receive, give and take. And so maybe, now think about this scenario. Maybe a husband will do something very nice. He'll send his wife, say, baby, go, go, you go take a shower, you go get in bed. I'll do the dishes. I'll bathe the kids. I'll put the kids to bed. What a noble thing for a man to do, Right? But in his mind, he's also thinking, I'm going to get a reward for this. Some, I'm going to get something back for this. I did something nice. Something nice will be done for me. Okay, you know what I mean? Well, but what if that reward doesn't come? Now, all of a sudden, this husband is getting resentful, and he feels unloved and unwanted. Because, think about it, the premise to begin with was totally backward for him. All right? That this, this man is basing his relationship on what he thinks his wife owes him. I did this for you. Why haven't you done this for me? And now we get all backward and, and, and things get messy and they never had to be in the first place. Because listen, to nourish your wife is to care for her for her sake. Not care for her for your sake. 
Marriage is not a give and take. It's not if I do this for you, then you owe me back or you'll do this for me in return and we'll call it even. Guys, that's not how marriage is meant to work. Husbands, our role is to serve and bless and nurture the heart of that woman for her own sake. Just because she's precious to us and we want to honor her and love her. And see, that's what the word husband means. It's an agricultural term. You husband the ground, you husband uh, livestock. That word means that you create the ideal environment for something to flourish, for something to be at its best. It's not a matter of give and take. It's a matter of give. Give because that's what Christ has done for us. Now, very practically, again, men, we, we just have to ask our wives, how can I bless you? What do you need to, to have a full tank, because we need to be in a position where we're, we're seeking the greatest good of this woman that God's given us to marry. And so you've just got to ask her what that is. Now, maybe, very simply, your wife, she enjoys reading, and she just needs a little quiet time to get away and read or study her Bible or something like that, right? And, and in, the, in the normal routines of life, she never gets that time. And so, men, you've got to say, I'll facilitate that for you. I'll make that possible. Maybe she likes uh, to sing. Maybe she enjoys photography. Maybe she likes to exercise. Maybe she just needs every two or three or four weeks, she needs a night out to dinner with her best friend so she can have conversation with somebody outside of the home. And she's not asking for a lot in that case, right? That's not a lot to ask for. Maybe your wife just needs help making lunch for the kids before school in the morning. I don't know what it may be. That's why you have to ask, because every answer for every wife may be a little bit different. But the point is this, sweetie, what do you need? What can I facilitate for you? What can I do for you that makes sure that you are well taken care of, that you have things that you enjoy, that you can do, um, and rather than a life that is simply poured out for everybody else and your tank ends up empty all the time. How can I nourish you? Because men, you know, we may not recognize this all the time, but your wife is probably just as exhausted as you, maybe more. She's under just as much pressure as you, maybe more. She's just as insecure and, and needy as you are, maybe more. And the last thing she needs after pouring herself out all day long is for us to come home from work and have a mindset of what can she give me now? And we're trying to draw from an empty tank. She's got nothing left to give. And so men, we're called to nourish our wives the same way we nourish ourselves and the same way Jesus nourishes his church. How can I bless her without needing a return favor? Maybe that's a good way to ask the question in our own minds. Nourish her. And then the last thing Paul says is cherish. We love, we nourish, we cherish. And to cherish something is to esteem and value and protect it. Something so precious to us that we can't imagine letting it out of our sight. We want to protect it and hold tightly to it because it's that precious to us. Now, men... The heart of your wife should be cherished. It ought to be something maybe more precious to you than anything else on this earth. And so the question is, how do you cherish your wife? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, 
You cherish her by giving her security. Your wife has to trust in you. She has to be secure in you. And so for us men, listen, don't ever lie to your wife. Don't lie to her. Don't hide things from her. You don't need to have a second phone and she doesn't know the passcode to it. There there shouldn't be anything in your life that's off limits to her because that strikes fear in a woman's heart. Uh, She should never have to wonder where you are or what you're doing. She should know your schedule and what you're up to. She, If you're going to be late, you need to call or text and make her aware of what's going on. You don't want to give her reason to wonder where you are or what you're doing. Men, you don't be irresponsible with money, okay? A lot of men, we get married and we're thinking, this is my money, I worked for this money. But in covenant marriage, listen, it's not your money anymore, it's y'all's money. And because it's y'all's money, now we have to be considerate. We can't go spend $800 on something that we didn't really need and we didn't consult with her first. And now, because we've been irresponsible, she is worried about the future. She's worried about taking care of this family and having the things that we need because we dropped the ball on being considerate and on including her in those kinds of decisions. You can't be irresponsible like that, men. When you were single, maybe it wasn't a problem, but now it's an issue. It creates fear in her heart if she has an irresponsible husband. And men, oh man, reject, reject, reject pornography. For so many reasons, we have to reject that stuff. And you know, it can even come in the mail in the form of a sports magazine, okay? In softer forms, reject all of it. You talk, about, you talk about destroying a woman's heart. If she thinks that you find satisfaction outside of her, if she thinks that she's not good enough and you're finding something beyond her, then that will do damage to her heart that you cannot imagine. We reject anything that would put fear into her heart, that would give her insecurity, as to how precious we think she is. Am I enough for him? She should never have to wonder about the answer to that question. Reject anything that would, that would cause her concern in that. And, and to piggyback on that, guys, we cherish her romantically. In the Song of Solomon, the bride says about her groom, she says, He has brought me into his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. That is not translated as, let's throw the kids in the car and go to Sonic, okay? There's a time and a place for that. That's fine. But guys, it, it's possible that we, we dated our wives, we romanced our wives before we got married because that's we knew, we saw them, we wanted them, and then we got married and we somehow forgot what it is to pursue that woman, to date her, to romance her. And even if for us it, it needs to be a discipline now, Whereas before it was kind of more natural, even if it's a discipline now, it's an important discipline that in an ongoing way we date our wives, that she knows what it feels like to continually be pursued, right? That we, that we cherish her in that way. That has to be a priority, that I will continue to pursue this woman even after I've got her. I didn't pursue her just to get her. I pursued her because I love her, and I'm going to continue to love her and esteem her that way. And that romance, men, 
should be an end in itself. It doesn't have to get rewarded for us. It's simply, I'm going to love and pursue this woman because she's a precious gift to me that God gave me. That we've got to keep that up. Um, and then lastly, you cherish her in the eyes of others. The, you know, there should be no secret. When people look at us, there should be no secret as to how we feel about our wives. Now, some women... Uh, you know, desire a little more physical affection than others. You may not have a wife that needs you to, to hug her and kiss her in public. She doesn't need that. Okay, that's fine. Some women prefer that. Some women don't. My point, though, is that there should be no question when people see how you treat her that they say that man's banner over her is love. That, and guys, here, okay, when we, when we go somewhere, when we're walking somewhere, men, don't charge out in front of her and make her keep up with you and walk behind you, right? That's, that's an old kind of natural thing for men, maybe. Well, she needs to speed up. She's walking too slow. Guys, where do you have to be? Where do we have to be? Slow down, take her by the hand, and walk with your wife. It's a way you cherish her. She's important, right? She's more important than wherever you need to be. So walk with her. Uh, brag on her to your family and your friends. It, it, it will bless a woman's heart like you wouldn't believe. To simply give simple, specific things about her that, that you're enamored with, that you're thankful for. Brag on her cooking. Brag on her. Brag on how she loves those kids. Oh, just she stayed up till 2 a.m. working on that science project last week um, for our fourth grader. What a woman. What kind, of, what kind of mom loves her kids like that? When you brag on a woman, when you brag on your wife around others, that blesses her heart like you just wouldn't imagine. Brag on her. And, and men, brag on her and respect her and honor her in front of your children. This is so important. Your children are going to treat her the way you treat her. And so men, if we're, if we're snarky, if we're sarcastic, if we're cutting, if we're short with her, if, if, we, if we treat her in a way that does not esteem her in front of our children, then not only are they going to treat their mom the same way, but those boys, if you have boys, they're going to grow up and they're going to get married thinking that's what marriage is like. And they're going to treat their wives that way. Little girls are going to grow up thinking that's how I'm supposed to be treated. And she'll marry, uh, she'll marry below her standards because she doesn't think it's that important to be esteemed. Men, how we treat that woman in our home how you value her in front of your children is of infinite importance. You just treat her like the precious gift of God that she is. She's your bride. She wasn't just your bride the day you got married. She's perpetually this precious woman, this gift, this treasure. You cherish her. Now, guys, let me end with a very important truth. It's almost hidden in the Scripture. If you go back to verse 29 as we close... In verse 29, you know, we just looked at some practical things. Very helpful, I hope. But in verse 29, we get down to the very root of what God is trying to produce in us. Listen, in verse 29, we've been told, right, love, nourish, cherish your wives. And then it says, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And this is what it comes down to. That we're not called to love our wives just the best we see fit based on the standard we saw in our homes growing up as kids, based on the standard of the culture or just how we feel is right. That's not our standard of love. And we're certainly not called to love our wives 
the way we think she deserves it, depending on how good she's been or how worthy she is of our love. No. What is the standard? That we love her the way that Christ has loved us. That we love and nourish and cherish because that's what Jesus has done for us. What has Jesus done for you? I mean, men, he has loved you. He has... He didn't just save you, but He has developed you. He has given you a spiritual gift. He's indwelled you by His very Spirit. He has, He's made you into something that you otherwise could never be. Jesus didn't just love you in some kind of passing, uh, um, you know, uh, circumstantial way. You know, if I'm good today, Jesus will love me. If I'm bad, he'll, he'll turn His back on me. He has loved you with the strongest, most sacrificial form of love that there is a love that can only come from God himself. And he has made you great. Although there was nothing great about you to begin with, Jesus has has made you something glorious. And listen, because we have received that kind of love from God, we now become conduits. That love now flows through us. We have the capacity to love somebody else like that. That's what it is to love your wife is I'm receiving such, such outrageous love from God and He wants it to flow through me to this woman He's given me to live in covenant with. What a, what a gift that is. That is not an imposition. That's not a burden. That's a gift. That's a privilege. And so y'all, you know, everything I've, I've been talking about, I'm a fellow struggler here, okay? I'm not, I'm not the bullseye. There's not a man around here that would raise his hand and say, yeah, if you want to look at what it is to be this kind of husband, just look at me. Nobody is knocking this thing out of the park. Nobody gets this all right. We struggle. And so, ladies, we need your grace in this. Wives, we need grace. What you married, uh, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we all bring some good things to the table, but what you married... You married a sinful, insecure, prideful, selfish person. You just did. Some of us may be better than others in this. I don't know. But you, you, you married somebody who needs a lot of help. And so, ladies, be gracious to us, please, as we struggle in this direction. But, guys, you don't just need her grace. You need God's grace. And more importantly than anything else, you, we will only succeed in this. We will only become this kind of man as we get more deeply rooted in the love of God and the sanctification of Christ, He matures us. He strengthens us. He gives us wisdom. He changes our hearts. Your wife cannot do that for you. And you cannot do that for yourself. Jesus has to. You know, I said this last week. A great marriage starts deep down. Guys, it doesn't just start with you and her. It starts with you and your Savior It's got to be first between you and Him. He's the only one that can produce this in you. Remember, this is not natural to you. What's natural to us uh, is the the kind of stuff that messes up our relationships. We need something supernatural. And so for us, it's got to be deeper than just communication and finances and romance and kids and in-laws, the kind of stuff in marriage that can be very difficult for us to deal with, right? Those surface things, but they're surface things. And deeper below the surface is this new reality that as a Christian man, um, I have a Savior who has loved me 
beyond my worthiness, beyond my sin, beyond my failures. He has loved me down to the very bottom with a purifying and beautifying love. And now I'm, I'm called to reflect that in the here and now. I'm called to reflect that in my home and in my marriage. And guys, we can do this with His help. We can do this by His grace. Um, we are strugglers. We are sinners. But God can produce a marriage from within us, can produce a kind of husband out of us that we could never imagine because the things that are impossible with us are possible with God. And so let's pray. Let's pray that God would do the deep down work in us that will then produce the kind of marriage on the surface that will produce the kind of marriage that we're all hoping for. That God would do the deep work in our hearts that will produce the kind of marriage that we were all thinking we were going to have when we stood at that altar with stars in our eyes and said, I do. Father, I ask that you would um, produce this in our hearts. We men, we are, um, we are incapable of producing this. And, I, and, and if we've been married more than about six weeks, we've already figured that out. There's so much, Lord, that we fall short in. There's so much that we, we wish to be and desire to be. And yet, Lord, we just we fumble that ball all the time. And so for us as men, as husbands, Father, would you, would you, be, would you comfort us and forgive us that where we feel like failures, where we have missed it? Lord, would you remind us that our identity is not in our success and failure, that our identity is in Christ, that he has given us everything, that he's done everything for us uh, above and beyond, Lord, uh, that Jesus has uh, loved, that he's died, that he's cleansed, that he's sanctified, that he's set us apart for his glory, all the things he's done, that he's done those things for us. And Father, so we, we have uh, forgiveness in full. We have uh, every opportunity when we wake up tomorrow morning to live in a way that honors and pleases you, Lord, with a clean slate. You'll hold nothing against us, Father. And Lord, with that in mind, with, with, with taking that to heart, help us in the little things. Help us to listen and care and, and be concerned. Help us to be considerate. Help us, Lord, to to take on an agape love as a natural way of life, not just an occasional act of love for us, Lord, but help us to have a mindset that says, I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to start each day thinking, how can I love her better? How can I honor her? How can I nourish her? How can I cherish her? And that Lord, our marriages would, would take flight that, that, all that we hope for this thing to be, Lord, would become for us a reality simply because we, we dug deep to the roots of your love for us and we let that love become our operating love. This is what marriage is meant to be. The love of Christ uh, working through us. And Father, I pray, you know, we, I, I can tend to look at my failures and get real insecure and even kind of flimsy and, and full of self-pity. So God, I ask this, would you give us men courage and boldness? 
We, we have not gotten this all right. Okay. Father, give us courage and boldness to say, I will be this kind of man. I will love and honor God, and I will love, nourish, and cherish my wife, and I will settle for nothing less. I will set this standard for my children. I will make sure that everybody knows, simply by the way I treat this woman, that everybody knows how very precious she is to me. And where that does not come natural to us, Father, give us the resolve to beg you for it. This is too important for us to just accept the status quo. Father, make us as husbands righteous, godly, and make us a blessing to these precious gifts, these women that you've given to us to walk through life with. We love you, Father. We need you in this. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.